political news is coming fast and furious these days, and the last week has been no exception. Joining me to put it all under the microscope is Global BC's Keith Baldry and the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer. Also later in the show, Energy and Mines Minister Michelle Mungal joins us. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. For Kamloops Computer Center, here's NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. It's a smoky one here in Kamloops, but I can actually see a little bit of blue sky. The eyes aren't watering so much this morning. It's a pleasure to be joined by Keith Baldry and Vaughn Palmer. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning, Shane. And it is busy on this political beat in British Columbia this summer. <laughs> it certainly is. I'm amazed we find time to do the show sometimes. By the way, we should probably extend the show past 10 o'clock because it seems as soon as we end, big things happen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, was it two weeks ago they canned uh, uh, Jessica McDonald, and then last week Christy Clark uh, quit within minutes of the show ending. So maybe we should just hang on a little bit later on or something. Well, uh, Shane, we used to joke uh, on the political beat that you, if you were giving a speech or going on the air, you needed to check just before you went on who was still Premier of British Columbia, because in the 90s we went through six of them. So we may have to go <laughs> back to that kind of check just before you start. Uh, okay, everybody in place? Great. Okay, now away we go. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, guys, the big news this week was a campaign promise fulfilled. Uh, they sent the big site C dam to that uh, pedal to the metal uh, BC Utilities Commission review, a six to 12 week review with a final report coming November 1st. Uh, a looking forward review, Keith. Yeah, I mean, uh, the terms of reference are quite interesting. You could drive a proverbial truck through uh, through these terms. I have long thought that this was, this whole thing to send it to the Utilities Commission for review was to provide cover for John Horgan to have an excuse of why the dam will proceed. Uh, the uh, already some uh, anti-dam uh, campaigners are upset with the terms because they require the commission to basically look at only the economics of um, of, of the project, not the environmental assessment, not the agricultural impact, not First Nations, simply the economics, and to also uh, uh, adhere to BC Hydro's own forecast for expected uh, the, the electric. Electrical load that they're going to expect down the road, which has already been challenged by people who oppose the dam. So they don't like they don't like the terms of reference. Uh, I think they do see this as a way to keep the dam going rather than stopping the dam dead in its tracks. So I'll be surprised if the commission comes back with a recommendation to stand this thing down completely. Then it's up to cabinet and and Michelle Mungal, the energy minister, says at that point they will take into account environmental assessment, First yeah. Nations arguments, uh, agricultural uh, issues as well. So, But those issues only come onto the table after the Commission hands this thing off. And as you pointed out, Vaughn, there's an interesting sort of third political option in this thing. It's not just, well, keep building it or kill it. There's now a mothballing it option. Yeah, and the Commission is, I mean, it's clear what the Commission is going to do. We, we were wondering how the heck they were going to get this done in six weeks and then 12 weeks. So the Commission has already set up a website, and people can go find it. There'll be public input. Here's their plan. They're going to essentially spend six weeks crunching the numbers. They'll put out a preliminary report, invite public comment. They're going to travel around the province, have uh, open houses, let people respond, and then you get the final report, and that goes to Cabinet, as, as Keith said. But that, that report, those two reports are essentially going to answer economic questions, which is, is the dam on time and on budget? Is it going to be? And what are the market conditions between now and 2024, best as we can estimate, uh, for whether or not this is the right way to do it? But 
the commission is also, you know, going to have to consider, well, what are the alternatives? You're, you're not going to have a report that says we will never need more electricity in the province. So what are your other options? Very interesting piece in the Vancouver Sun today from uh, Mark Jackard, uh, Shane. This guy ran the BCUC for the NDP, so he's a prof now at SFU. Mm. He says we've got to stop British Columbia people comparing the price of electricity from Site C with wind and solar, because he says they're not comparable. Wind and solar is only available when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining. Mm -hmm. Site C power is there for 100 years. You can store the water behind the dam until you need the electricity. You can release it at peak use times or sell it even. Um, So he says it's, it's worth more than wind power, than solar power. So I agree with Keychain. I think we're headed to a finding here from the commission that is not necessarily, you know, it could be very flattering to Site C. Mm. It, it might say we don't need it in 2024 and you can slow down the pace of construction, but um, I'd be surprised if the report coming back from the Utilities Commission says, forget it, stop it, we don't need it. Yeah, although on the clean energy thing, I've definitely heard from people in the industry, the Site C dam on the one aspect of sort of provincial government attention and funding has eaten up a lot of money and hurt the industry that way. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I think, Vaughn, you might have pointed it out in your column the other day, was that the Juanita Dam, which the province yeah. is not going to buy the two-thirds share, the BCUC gets to sit on that and look at that for a year, uh, $1.2 billion cost. The $9 billion site C dam uh, gets six to 12 weeks, Keith. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's been doubts all along that this was not an adequate uh, time frame for the commission to to, you know, spend enough time to come up with a, a proper assessment. Uh, Michelle Mungal, we asked her that at her news conference, um, and she performed fairly pretty well at that news conference for a rookie minister in a very technical portfolio. Didn't really explain why the commission gets a year for Juanita and, and only six to 12 weeks for, for, for Site C, which again le- leads us to suspect this is not a process designed to kill the dam, uh, to, to kill Site C. This is a process designed to let it continue. Um, I, again, I go back to John Horgan's background is in energy. He was a supporter of the Site C dam many years ago. And I suspect, I've long suspected that the NDP, because of their internal, internal divisions, can't come quite out and say we're going to support Site C or we're going to be against Site C because there's factions in that party and caucus that are on either side of the issue. Similar to Kinder Morgan, where it's amazing how nobody ever wants to talk about Kinder Morgan when, when Justin Trudeau comes to town uh, and meets with John Horgan. It never comes up, which again is, uh, uh, I think, more evidence that uh, secretly that Horgan doesn't want to see the Kinder Morgan pipeline necessarily fail. And I think likewise for Site C. Yeah. Vaughn, is it, is it indicative that they didn't, they didn't go to BCUC and say, hey, listen, how much time do you need, and then do it that way? Uh, no, they told them the time frame, and BCUC says they've never been asked to conduct a review in this tight time frame. They said they think they can do it. They're going to hire an outside engineering firm, and obviously the focus is much, much tighter than a review for Juanita. But still, this is the tightest time frame that's ever been imposed on the BCUC, and Mungo was asked at the press conference, what if they come back and say they need more time? And she said, well, that would be a decision for Cabinet. So it's possible they come back and say, you know what, we can't quite get you the answers you want just yet. All right, so uh, we sort of hinted around it here, but we don't think that the, the government's going to kill this thing at the end of the day. We're, we're pretty firm on that, Keith Vaughn? 
I think it's unlikely that they'll kill it outright. It's possible they'll slow down the pace of construction, but of course, that could add to the cost, too. I mean, you've got the workers there. Uh, that was another thing, you know, Shane, that happened this week. I've had people argue, oh, you can't believe Hydro's numbers about how many people are working there. Well, the minister said there are 2,200 people working there this week. So now it's the NDP that's saying that. Perhaps some of the critics of the project will start to believe the numbers. Yes. One of the options put in front of the commission is to not only um, shut the, the dam down, but then to remediate the site. Yeah. And that has an enormous cost as well. I, I've been at that site, so is Vaughn. It is an enormous undertaking. And cost estimates of how much it would cost to put everything back together again in terms of land is about a, at least a billion dollars. And that's, that is added to the $4 billion already spent or contractually uh, committed. And if you're talking about turning your back on a $5 billion expenditure, I just don't see, and laying off 2,200 people politically, I just think that's just a, a, a no-go zone for John Horgan. So let's take a quick break and uh, more on Inside Politics with Keith and Vaughn on the other side. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director, Shane Woodford. Welcome back. We're talking to uh, Vaughn Palmer and Keith Baldry. Uh, guys, uh, of course, the, the whole uh, provincial government scene now ha- hangs on the balance with the NDP or with the NDP agreement with the Green Party. Uh, Vaughn, you pointed out this morning an interesting piece in the Times columnist about this uh, $500 ahead fundraiser, the so-called Leaders Golf Tournament that John Horgan and his party are going to throw. And apparently Andrew Weaver is not terribly happy about that, although Rob Fleming's kind of playing the whole thing down. Uh, what's going on here, Vaughn? Well, yeah, I love the headline in the Times calling this we were teed off at golf fundraiser right it, it <laughs> look i mean i think you gotta laugh at this because the new democrats and the greens made this deal to bring an end to corporate union fundraising but they didn't agree on a on a precise timetable uh, they were going to do it when the house sits but the house hasn't sat for various reasons it's not going to sit till february the 8th New Democrats say when it does. September 8th. New fundraising. Yeah, uh, yes, September. God. Yes. <laughs> we get new fundraising rules, and that'll be the end of it. But meanwhile, we're operating under the old rules, and John Horgan is uh, $2,000 for a foursome, $500 for an individual, and you get to play golf with John Horgan and uh, Rob Fleming, who's described in the, pre- in the NDP fundraising release as... An MLA for Victoria. He is, of course, also our education minister. What's funny about this to me, Shane, is that the New Democrats said this was inherently corrupt. This is cash for access. If you're going to a fundraiser with the premier or with the education minister, you're only doing it to buy access, and then they'll turn around and do favors for you. Well, okay, so this is kind of discount cash for access. It's $500 a ticket. It was up to $10,000 to have dinner with Christy Clark. So I can't get too worked up about it. I do think it's as funny as hell. <laughs> it's a very cynical play. It is funny, but it's also very cynical by the NDP. I, I mean, I thought their protests against the, the Liberals were completely over the top because they were doing the exact same thing, yeah. uh, albeit on a, on a slightly smaller scale. As for Andrew Weaver, he can stamp his feet all he wants. He has trapped himself. He has signed an agreement here that does not allow him to depart from uh, the NDP over an issue like this. And uh, he's basically gone all in uh, on one issue, and that's electoral reform. He's, he needs that referendum uh, next uh, fall, 2018, 
uh, for a vote on proportional representation, and that is his number one priority, and he basically has sacrificed everything else to get to that point, and that means the NDP can raise all the money they want corporately and through unions between now and when the legislation takes effect, and there's really nothing Andrew Weaver can do about it. You know, that's a good point, Shane, that Keith just made. Weaver, if he had had a tougher negotiation with the NDP, he could have had written into that agreement, and by the way, the old kind of fundraising stops today, the day we signed the agreement, which would have been in May. He didn't get that written into the fine print. The New Democrats are living up to the letter of the agreement, but they're not doing anything more that, they, that isn't signed, sealed, and delivered. By the way, do you, do you guys happen to know if we're going to see this uh, bill to ban union corporate donations in the fall sitting or the, or the spring sitting? Any idea? They say in the fall. Uh, they say there may be some things that they don't include in it. The ban will be there. And I think the ban will take effect the day they table the legislation in the House. So House is sitting on a Friday for a throne speech. I assume the legislation will be tabled the next week. Uh, there may be some things, however, Shane, that aren't in the legislation. One of those would be a cap on individual donations. They've said they want to study that issue. So you, you're going to ban union and corporate, but you're going to have some kind of a limit on individual donations. But we don't know if that'll be $100 or $500, like the ticket for this golf fundraiser, or $1,000, which some people have suggested is the limit. And Carl James, the finance minister, has suggested some of this stuff will be sent out for consultation. The Liberals, keep in mind, in that short little session we had, after the throne speech, tabled a bill that was pretty exhaustive in, a, in detail in terms of, of banning corporate union donations and donations in kind. It wasn't, uh, you know, fly by the seat of your pants legislation. This was a fairly detailed piece of legislation. And I'll be, it'll be interesting whether the NDP puts a bill in front of the House that is less inclusive of rules than the one they defeated on the floor of the House with the Liberals. Yeah, I knew it's also going to include municipal campaigns as well, according to the ministry, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, circling back to Andrew Weaver for a second, uh, you guys all know the, the story we did up here with uh, David Eby about the Trans Mountain Pipeline and him basically ruling out interfering with permits. Uh, we spoke to Andrew Weaver, who who said uh, that Mr. Eby, quote-unquote, spoke out of turn and, quote-unquote, said uh, we made a rookie minister mistake. Uh, which was interesting comments from Mr. Weaver considering Adam Olson was on the show last week and struck a very middle-of-the-road sort of uh, political response to all this stuff. Uh, what did you guys read into Mr. Weaver's comments there? Well, I think Evie was speaking as a lawyer, advised by the lawyers in the Attorney General's ministry, and I know uh, Weaver has a big brain and he's uh, got a Ph.D. in advanced mathematics or whatever, but uh, I'm inclined to go with... EB on this one, because I can't imagine he would have said it if it wasn't the legal advice he's getting from the Attorney General's ministry. Yeah, I'd like to have seen EB's face when he heard that Andrew Eber said he's making a rookie minister mistake. But anyway, Keith? It's not, no, I mean, uh, EB's going to demonstrate, and already has demonstrated, that he, he's a pretty savvy politician, and uh, this is not a rookie mistake. He is a rookie, but I agree with Vaughn. He's, he's following the advice he's getting from his legal staff in that ministry, and he didn't speak out of turn. Uh, he refreshingly spoke um, from some knowledge that he was sharing with the public. So I don't uh, fault Evie whatsoever on this. But again, it's a reflection of the tension, yeah. growing tension that's going to be there between the Green Caucus and the NDP government. The NDP is already showing signs that what you say in opposition is one thing, what you do in government is entirely different. Uh, uh, opposing is easy. 
governing is hard. And the NDP is discovering that. I've, I've talked to a number of their senior staff and their ministers who are making that exact same point. So Weaver's going to find himself on the outs on a number of issues. Uh, as I say, he's gone all in on one, and that's electoral reform. And he's going to be disappointed on a whole bunch of fronts before we get to that point. Well, does he have to be more careful about what he says? Because it sounds like he's being a bit of thorn in the side at the moment. Well, that's Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he speaks he's, got a, he's got a fair amount of leeway. <laughs> he's a good quote. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, key, key's point. <laughs> Just imagine what he's going to have. If it turns out that Site C goes ahead, what's he going to say about that? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that was, he didn't want a review. He wanted the thing killed. He'd already looked into it, concluded that it, it should just be killed outright. Yeah. If Justin Trudeau keeps meeting with John Horgan and they never discuss Kinder Morgan, uh, when does the penny drop on Andrew Weaver that, wait a minute, my other big priority here is going south as well? So, uh, yeah, he's, uh, it's, 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 Andrew Weaver's a, a great uh, guy to cover. I think he's a breath of fresh air in B.C. politics. I think there's a bit of naivety there, but uh, I think he's going to find that he's, he's not the big player he was in this whole negotiation about a, uh, a united front between the Greens and the NDP. He's basically the equivalent of a government backbencher right now who really doesn't have any power. Yeah. Uh, before I go to break, have you guys heard anything from jo- the NDP or John Horgan in his briefing this week about whatever options might be on the table on the Trans Mountain thing or no? No, I, I am not. I've, other than, uh, again, trying to revisit the, the whole permitting issue, John Horgan was still hoping that there was something there for them to take away on that, despite Evie sort of uh, dismissing that. But there's been no word that I've seen of any other options that are weapons in their arsenal. Yeah, so it's got to be those existing court cases, and unless they plan to launch one of their own. I can't think of anything else on the table they could put it's there. But involving First Nations, I think, is where they're going to hang their hat on. Yeah. Okay, Keith Vaughn, uh, let's take a quick break to the bottom of the hour. We'll get caught up with the news uh, from NL with Bob Price, including a latest evacuation order on the wildfire front. And we'll come right back to Keith Baltry and Vaughn Palmer on the other side for more Inside Politics here on Radio NL. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Accountable to you. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. Talking to Global BC's Keith Baldry and the Vancouver Sons of Vaughn Palmer. Guys, I want to talk about Christy Clark for a minute because I was really interesting last week, uh, sort of the Thursday to Friday uh, difference in tales. And I'm going to play a little bit of audio. This is Christy Clark. She did an, an interview with our Jim Harrison on Thursday morning. She literally did the interview, hung up the phone, and walked into the Liberal Convention. This was the last thing she said on the interview. For the NDP election at any moment. We need to be ready for the NDP to call an election at any moment. We have to be ready to fight. We have to be united. So, uh, Jim, when I say I'm staying, I mean I'm staying. And here's Christy Clark on Monday. Diminishing our numbers in the House is a big problem if there's likely to be an election. I don't think there's any likelihood of an election in in the fall. Part of my decision was figuring out, all right, when is the best time for this to happen? Is it too so uh, interesting disparity in audio there. Any reasoning other than what she stated behind the decision? Anything happened in the room that you guys know about? I think what happened is that, first of all, and I gather she said this later in the day, that she kind of oversold her commitment to, to, to CHNL and to Jim Harrison, that she kind of got, uh, uh, she, that, was, that was the line back in June, but she should have 
probably been a little more lukewarm about staying. Um, I think there was some agitation among the liberals and rumblings, and, and we heard that one MLA had indicated that if she didn't give a clear signal she was going, he was going to speak out. So there was something in the works, but I think what really happened is she realized there was no coming back from the debacle in the spring and decided to get out of there ahead of the knife wielders rather than because she was under enormous pressure to go right away. Yeah, Keith? But I've talked to a number of MLAs uh, since then, and they say, no, there was nothing in the caucus room. They were shocked when she pulled the plug. They expected her to sit at least through the fall. There was certainly an expectation that, uh, or uh, uh, probability that she was not going to remain as leader past uh, Christmas. Uh, but that was still an unanswered question. They very much expected her and wanted her to be the leader in the fall, to have a more of a, a gradual uh, handoff. There was one MLA, Daryl Plekis from Abbotsford, who was not in the caucus room, but was talking to friends outside, and word got back to uh, Clark that uh, he was willing to um, go citizen independent. And I talked to mm. Clark, Christy Clark, literally a couple hours after she made the announcement that she was being driven back uh, by Mike McDonald, her longtime uh, friend and political aide, as they went down the Hope Princeton Highway and had a long discussion with her. And her point was, look, uh, if there's one, there's going to be more eventually. It's inevitable that the Grumlin would start becoming more public. It would be a distraction. She's a student of B.C. political history. She knows what happened to Bill Vanderzam, knows what happened to Mike Harcourt, to Glenn Clark, and to Gordon Campbell. Once you get into this sort of whirlwind, you can't get out. And she decided that uh, the best thing to do was to leave earlier than later. And in her words, shock the caucus and the party into renewal and get their heads around the fact that they're now in opposition and not in government. Yeah. So uh, looking forward for the BC Liberal Party, obviously a leadership convention comes next. They're hammering that out. Uh, anything about the shadow cabinet that came out yesterday that kind of hints at who might toss their hat in that ring? I I was struck by Mike Bernier as the health critic, not the education critic, and our own Todd Stone here in Kamloops, who is the transportation minister, is now somehow the critic of municipal affairs. Vaughn? You know, uh, you're right about that, Shane. The, the thing that jumps out at you is, uh, first of all, this is an enormous caucus is 43 critic roles, so it's a lot of doubling up. But the other thing is, Rich Coleman, who, who sort of put this together as interim leader, has, has clearly decided that uh, rather than have ministers, in uh, former ministers in the House, grilling the new ministers, which you know, could lead the new minister to say, yeah, well, you screwed it up on your shift, and I'm trying to fix it. Uh, they've pretty much given everybody new assignments. So, uh, you know, the people who know where the bodies are buried still know where the bodies are buried mm-hmm. in the various ministries, but they've pretty much turned the page on almost all the ministers will now be critics for new areas. New mm-hmm. areas. Yeah, Keith? I think I agree with Vaughn. That was, I think that was a deliberate strategy by Coleman, again, not to get in that trap that uh, you were worse than I am uh, when you were in, in, that, in this ministry, uh, once again, in the legislature. So Mike Bernier can go after health, after municipal affairs. They've got no track record uh, in, in either of those portfolios. They come into, that, into those critic areas with, uh, with clean hands. And as Vaughn says, this is, the biggest, uh, this is the biggest opposition in B.C. history. So there is doubling up. There's two critics for health. Yeah. There's two critics for, for a number of portfolios. They've got a, they can split the time. And in terms of the, the impact on the leadership, I'm not sure I see too much there. 
um, because once you have two critics in a portfolio, you use the workload for everybody. I mean, Bernier's been talked about as a leadership candidate, but he's not the sole health critic. There's someone else there as well. Yeah. And, and Todd Stone, likewise, uh, you know, Andrew Wilkinson. The most entertaining one, though, I... I, I urge people to tune in every now and then when Andrew Wilkinson and David Eby square off on the Attorney General. <laughs> Both of them are very funny and entertaining and well-spoken, and I think there's going to be some sparks flying there. Yeah. Uh, as far as any leadership contenders, anybody you're hearing outside the box uh, than, than already has been put on the table? Uh James Moore, former federal cabinet minister, I think, I think, he's, uh, I think he ruled himself being out. Being made to him, uh, you know, there's a view in the Liberal Party that uh, well, we just had a liberal liberal as leader, and we're a coalition, so it's the Conservatives' turn. Uh, that's why you're hearing all this talk about federal MP Diane Watts, and I think that's why you're seeing these approaches being made to James Moore. But you know, the party. Uh, was not just caught off guard by Clark's announcement in terms of her her going right away, in fact, leaving today. But um, I don't think there's a lot of people that have done a lot of work on leadership campaigns as well. So they're really starting uh, from scratch on this. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if they're going to have that strong a field. Another, another name surfacing is Ian Black, the former uh, no. MLA and cabinet minister, now president of the Vancouver Board of Trade. Uh, but I agree with Vaughn. You go back to 2011, that was a very strong field of candidates. He had Kevin Falcon, George Abbott, Mike DeYoung, and Christy Clark. Uh, all of them were, you know, you could argue, well, that would be a pretty good choice to be premier. Uh, and this time, I'm, I just don't think the field is as strong. You've got Andrew Wilkinson, Todd Stone, um, uh, neither of whom were really top ministers in in uh, in the BC Liberal government. Ian Black, who again not a not a big force in the Campbell government. Maybe James Moore. Diane Watts, you know, Mayor of Surrey, but never really been tested or challenged on anything. I mean, when she was Mayor of Surrey, it was almost by consensus. So uh, she's never been in the bear pit of BC BC politics. And maybe a newcomer like Jazz Johal, but he's new. He's he's green. So. Uh, not as strong a field emerging as we saw in 2011, and I think the NDP is very happy about that. Yeah, and Diane Watts front, and there's no seat for her anywhere in Surrey for to take unless somebody steps aside. Obviously, yeah, that's interesting. You know, Shane, uh, the the uh, I think when Clark announced she was going to give up her seat in the Okanagan, there was a thought. Well, you know, you could keep that open, and if you picked a leader from outside, the leader could run there, and then boom, Ben Stewart comes out and announces yeah. he's going to win the seat back. He wants the seat back. He gave it up for Clark. Uh, he's announced already that he's going to run uh, for the Liberal nomination there. And again, you go, the Liberals really haven't thought this thing through. They really don't have a plan uh, for transition to the opposition era. All right, uh, last question before we go uh, and end the the segment with you guys. Uh, Legislature sits September 8th. We're going to get a partial year budget to follow. Uh, Any other big, uh, big things that will drop as of September or no? Uh, lobbying legislation, they promised. The, uh, the legislation to enable the referendum in the fall of 2018, they have promised some measure in the direction of electoral reform. So there's three big things. Uh, they've got to come in and explain how they're going to get rid of those tolls in the lower mainland. Mm-hmm. I know I'm hearing from people in and around Vancouver who are wondering why they're still having to pay them yep. when they voted for a government that said they were going to get rid of them. So it's going to be a busy, busy fall, Shane, I think. Last word to you, Keith. Yeah, it's going to be busy, but I don't think it's going to be um, a lot of volume in terms of legislation. Uh, they will table most of the legislation in the spring, uh, but the fall is more for housekeeping, with the exception of a couple of those big ticket items that Vaughn mentioned. I mean, you've got campaign uh, finance reform, maybe lobbying. 
uh, not sure you need legislation with the tolls, but uh, they've got to put a, a sort of mini budget in front of the house, and that's going to be a challenge for them. All right, gentlemen, appreciate it, and uh, stand by your phones at around ten oh five in case something happens. <laughs> bye bye, Keith Vaughn. I'll see you again next week. That's uh, Keith uh, Baldry and Vaughn Palmer uh, here on Inside Politics. Always enjoy hearing what they have to say. Let's take a quick break here, and on the other side, we'll talk to Energy and Mines Minister Michelle Mungal. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Welcome back to Inside Politics. My next guest is this province's new Energy and Mines Minister. Welcome, Michelle Mungo. Michelle, why don't we start with the uh, latest news first. Uh, Site C Dam, as promised, you guys this week sent that to the BC Utilities Commission for a pedal to the metal review. Uh, I was caught by the fact that we're going to keep the work going, and I think it's about $2 million a day, and you, I believe you said you didn't want to stop the project immediately because of the impact on the workers. But between the money spent and the two options out of the three, meaning the workers are going to be out of a job anyway, uh, why not? Well, I think one of the things uh, that we have to consider when we uh, put this review to the BC Utilities Commission is that there are workers, there are 2,200 workers already on site, and if we stopped their work, we would pretty much be preempting the decision of the BC Utilities Commission, and we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that this is an independent, objective, fact-based process. It struck me, too, the timeline, obviously expedited, uh, I guess, in part because this project has been underway for so long. But uh, the Juanita Dam, you guys are spending $1.2 billion there to buy the uh, the remaining shares, the ownership of that. Uh, the BCUC gets a year to examine that proposal, but six weeks for the $9 billion Site C. Is that a fair timeline? Uh, so first off, the BC Utilities Commission has 12 weeks. Uh, six weeks is when they will deliver their preliminary report to Cabinet and to the public And you have a very good question, and I think it highlights why the BC Utilities Commission should have reviewed Site C in the first place. That is the appropriate process, and that's what's happening with Juanita Dam, the actually appropriate process that should have always happened for Site C. Uh, I, I believe you said, and you can you can uh, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I believe you said that if the BCUC asked for more time to review the site C dam, uh, your government would consider it. Is that right? So we expect them to finish in that 12 week uh, period. They said that that is doable. If they do ask for more time, we'll have to consider it then. And I, I don't want to speculate on what that's going to look like. Why not flip the process on its head, Michelle? Why not go to the BCUC and ask them how much time they need and then do it that way instead of possibly ending up at the same place in the end? There are so many people's lives in the balance here. This project was started without the BC Utilities Commission doing its due diligence in the beginning, and so this is where we are now. And uh, we want to do this in an expeditious way so that everybody has certainty and we can move forward. The Liberal opposition and, and other groups uh, are saying that uh, this is causing a chill in the business community and possible you know, ramifications economically, not to mention the jobs that you mentioned of those 2,000-plus workers. Uh, what's your response on that front? Well, there's no doubt uh, that the B.C. Liberals and their friends want to score some political points here. But as I've been saying, they're so far from the net on this one. Let's look at uh, the wonderful announcement coming from Alta Gas uh, just uh, earlier this week where we have a $500 million project that's going to get started in Prince Rupert. That was announced uh, just earlier this week. We had one of the largest investment land sales happen here in British Columbia in the Northeast uh, since 2008, $85 million. That 
that happened under the NDP government, that shows that business is very interested in what's going on in BC and they want to invest here. But on the other hand, there's going to be points to this perception, at least, that uh, your government's not friendly to the resource sector, something liberals, of course, are pouncing on. There's uh, Patronus, uh, there's been on-the-record stuff about, uh, you know, John Horgan writing the letter and other NDP MLAs opposing that project. There's the open opposition. Oh, sorry, Shane, I'm just going to interrupt you there because we never opposed that specific project. We, with the communities, did not agree that it should be situated on Lilu Island. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Petronas actually looked at alternative sightings and they found some alternatives that were actually less costly to them. But ultimately, the global market pricing and the glut of LNG on the market is what led to this decision for this specific project. There are other projects still at play in BC. I've spoken with uh, the major projects that are in queue to get started, and they're all looking forward to uh, working with the new government, with myself, and uh, to invest in BC. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, but since you raised it now, uh, when you did do on the day Patronus pulled the plug, you did mention you were going to make that call. What did the, did the other LNG proponents air any concerns? Anything that, that your government could do? Anything on that front? What they said is that they have every intention to continue working in BC and they want to work with us, and they were very very pleased that I called them to say we want to work with them. But there's no fears the market conditions could knock them off too. You know, we, we we don't know. We can't tell the future, but where they're at right now is they're moving ahead. Okay, what's the next one that likely would have a final investment decision now that Patronus is off the table, Michelle? Well, there's quite a few things at play, and uh, I won't, don't want to speculate in terms of what's happening in the, the private sector, but what they do know is that they have a government ready to work with them. The Premier uh, was briefed this week on options to stop the Trans Mountain Pipeline. I know Mr. Eby says permitting or interfering with permits is off the table. Can you tell us what is or is not on the table there? You know, uh, a lot of that permitting and a lot of that process is uh, being taken care of under a different ministry, the Ministry of Environment. And so I encourage uh, anybody with questions to connect with uh, Minister George Heyman as he's been uh, looking into that. So there's no purview from the Energy and Mines Ministry on the pipeline? The task at hand in terms of Kinder Morgan just doesn't fall under my ministry. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. As far as uh, local matters, uh, I'm sure you're aware of the KGHM Ajax proposal here in Kamloops. Uh, Any official Mm -hmm. stance from your government on that? Uh, Well, myself and the Minister of Environment are going to have to be signing off as the statutory decision makers uh, on the environmental assessment process for the Ajax mine. And so it would be inappropriate for me to uh, say one way or another what we're looking at at this time. It's important that I remain objective and that we make fact-based science decisions. Any idea where when you would have to make that decision? Is there a timeline in front of you that you're aware of? Uh, not as of yet. All right. Uh, in your mandate letter, you were told to develop, and I quote, an improved and properly resourced approvals process to assess mining applications. Uh, what's the timeline to establish that, Michelle? Uh, well, two weeks into uh, the new government, we're dealing with some of the immediate issues, and we've already followed through on our commitment for a review by the BC Utilities Commission of the Site C Dam. And so now we're taking a look at uh, the broader aspects uh, and the other tasks in my mandate letter, and I'll be able to get back with you. Is the idea that would be something that would happen sooner rather than later, or no? Uh, I I couldn't tell you at this time. Again, it's early days for this new government. And uh, so once we're able to map out every task at hand, I'll be able to get back to you.
Okay. Uh, well, I was going to ask you if any mining proposals it would, it would cover retroactively or not, but I assume you couldn't answer that question. Not at this time. All right. And as far as any other matters out there, Michelle, what's your next priority now that you've, I mean, you've obviously handed some pretty big things right out of the gate with Patronus and Site C. Uh, what's job number three? Well, one of the things that uh, I like to do is actually meet the people who are involved in the, the sectors that I'm I'm working on. And so uh, I've already started going on tour uh, and learning more about uh, BC Hydro's various assets. I'm going to be learning more about what tech is doing in uh, the Kootenai region as well as other parts of BC. So people can expect to see me in their communities uh, pretty quickly, learning more about what's going on there. How are you going to tackle BC Hydro? And uh, the reason I ask is because I'm sure you're aware that that's a, a complicated file, but uh, B, it's also a bit of a financial issue with all of those billions of dollars tucked away in deferral accounts and, of course, people across the province keeping a close eye on their rates. Yes, uh, that is a very good point, and one of my major tasks is to ensure that rates are affordable for British Columbians. So we're going to be looking at a variety of things, and as you can expect, it being very complicated and uh, a lot of twists and turns in terms of this uh, story with BC Hydro's deferral accounts, uh, it's going to require a, a strong uh, and, and a detailed look at what's going on there. We have a new chair of the board, we have a new CEO, and I look forward to working with them to get down to the bottom of all of this. I know that you guys are going to take a close look at the books, both there and at ICBC. As far as BC Hydro, Michelle, any idea when that report or that results of that investigation might arrive on your desk? Again, right? We're just two weeks into this new government and uh, we're just getting started here. And so uh, I can't tell you all these definitive timelines that you're looking for right now. Give me a little while and I'll be able to get back to you. <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to finish with this and just circle back to LNG for a minute. You were charged in your mandate letter to put four conditions on future LNG prospects. I know from talking to uh, guys like Jazz Johal, uh, who has some LNG experience, uh, and he blatantly told me that these are just, you know, all of this is already being done and in essence is useless duplication. Uh, your response to that? Well, Jazz Johal is now a BC Liberal MLA. I'm not too sure if he's interested in the BC Liberal uh leadership. But, uh, you know, he's got different motivations right now for, for what he has to say. And then he's looking to score some political points. And the reality is, is that our four conditions are nothing new. They've been our policy on LNG for five years. The LNG industry has uh, been well aware of that. And they're looking forward uh, to working with us. As, with, as we all said in my conversations with them, they know what our four conditions are. And uh, if they're not meeting them already, they plan to meet them in the near future. So it's not a redundancy, it's a roadmap. What exactly is a, is a fair return for the resource? Is that just pure dollars or what is that? Uh, well, we look at uh, what a fair, we want a fair return on the resource. We want to ensure that there's jobs and skill training opportunities for British Columbians. We want to ensure that First Nations are meaningful partners. And, uh, and we want to ensure that our environmental, uh, water, air, land are protected, and that we're still meeting our climate change goals. Those are our four conditions, and uh, they're where most jurisdictions are going if they haven't gone there already. So this, again, is not a surprise to the LNG industry at all.
All right. Uh, I guess my last question here is I know you're still sinking your head into your portfolio and, and getting your head wrapped around a lot of things, but uh, there are some sort of broader concerns around establishing big projects. I don't know if it's Trans Mountain or whomever, Project X setting up shop and just both being federally and provincially kind of bogged down in a lot of stuff to get from an idea to actually up and running. Uh, is there anything provincially that you can do to kind of, you know, observe the environmental safety and, uh, you know, figure out if it's beneficial to the province or not, but actually get these things decided and done much quicker or no? Fair question. And the thing is, is that we need to be looking into that. Uh, we need to ensure that due diligence is there. We need to ensure that there's transparency and we need to ensure that there's cer- certainty for everybody involved, for communities, for First Nations and for the companies themselves. That's what everybody wants. That's not necessarily what everybody got under the BC Liberals. So going forward, we want to map that out, and we want to make sure that we have fair, science-based, objective processes that everybody understands and knows exactly where they are at. All right. You've been generous with your time, Michelle. Always appreciate it. Good to talk to you. And that's today's Inside Politics. That's Michelle Mungal, BC's Energy and Mines Minister. We'll be back right here on NL next Friday with more on Inside Politics. The Valley's first choice for local news. CHNL 610 AM in Kamloops and streaming online at RadioNL.com.